Well, good morning, everybody. I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for those of you who came on out to our Fort Bedford event yesterday. It was it was awesome. You guys, there are some of you that there are 20 people, I think, that went and cleared a couple, I think it was like over 100 yards of just um, a path that hadn't been cleared in 10 years to get into Rotary Park. We gave out hot dogs at three different locations. We did a free car wash. We cleaned the Biddeford food pantry. We set trails so that you can know like different colored trails in um, Clifford Park because if you're like me you can get lost in Walmart parking lot um, all kinds of stuff and I'm probably missing a few things so anyway thank you so much for coming on out we'll have a little video next week to kind of show you um, some of the highlights of, of things that we were able to get done so we're, we're continuing in a sermon series kind of a collection of talks that we began last week and um, it's it's essentially talking about Jesus a friend of sinners. And uh, we, we talked last week about a wee little man named Zacchaeus who climbed a tree and Jesus went and uh, went to his house for dinner and, and changed his life. And it really, this whole collection of talks really boils down to, to one, one thing, and it's this, that, that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And I, and I think he liked them too. As far as I can tell, he hasn't changed his mind on it. Like, um, as far as I can tell, Jesus actually seemed to like to want to go to people's houses who were nothing like him. And the people that were the, the holy ones, the religious leaders and things like that, he really, he didn't have much, much time for. He said that he came for the sick. He came for those who needed a physician. And, um, and that's good news. Amen. That's, that's great news for those of you in here who realize that you have a long way to go to become more like Jesus. That, that's good news for you. But, but if we're to be completely honest, like just you and me here, right? Like nobody else is in the room. If we're going to be really honest, the longer we do this thing we call Christianity, the more jiggy we get with this whole idea that Jesus is a friend to sinners. We were good with it when we first were sinners and he found us and saved us. We we're all good with that. Um, and then, but the longer we go, there's this thing and we, I, for lack of better terms, like a self-righteousness that kind of rises up in us. And sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't and sometimes we mask it and call it other things. But it really comes down to this, for me, I'll say it for me, like I'm more comfortable with God loving me in my mess than I am with God loving you in yours. I, I'm okay with, with Jesus and dealing with, with the fact that I'm still a work in progress. I, I, I struggle with the fact that he loves you in the midst of yours. And today we're going to take a look and take a deep dive into one of the most well-known parables and probably one of the most misinterpreted parables that Jesus told. Um, it's, it's known as the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you're, you're not even a Christian today and you're kind of still trying to figure this thing out. You probably have heard of the Good Samaritan or at least know the idea of like being a Good Samaritan, helping people that are not like you and all that kind of stuff. Like, but before we read this, I want to remind you of why Jesus told stories like this in the first place. Why Jesus used, we, we call it, it's a church word, kind of like, it's called parables. 
these stories with like a, a deeper meaning. I used to think when I first got saved, first started reading my Bible, I used to think like, isn't it helpful that Jesus uses like visual aids? He makes, he has sermon illustrations, right? He'll, he'll use these illustrations or tell these stories to kind of like maybe dumb down uh, a really deep theological, you know, idea and make it simple, make it visual, make it tactile for, the, for his listeners. I used to think that. But that's not what Jesus said. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Let me read it for you. If you're wondering, like, why did Jesus speak in, in parables? Why did he use these stories? He says it. This is why I speak to them in parables. So if you're ever wondering, like, you can go to Matthew 13, 13. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. It's almost as if Jesus uses parables, not, not just to simplify something, but rather to communicate a truth that needs to be searched out. If you, if you listen, like all, all, seems like all the parables that Jesus tells, we read it and we're like, oh yeah, I totally get that. But I just want you to know, like his disciples, literally afterwards, they're like, oh, Jesus, can we talk with you in private? What were you talking about? Like what, the whole wheat and the tares thing? What are you talking about the whole, like, you know, sowing seeds? What, what, what does that even mean? So Jesus is literally communicating a truth, and it's not necessarily that he's trying to simplify it and make a visual aid. Sometimes he's actually almost kind of hiding a truth that you're going to have to dig out. You're going to have to ask questions. You're going to have to search, not just with your mind, but with your heart. And so I want to lay this out there to you. As we get into this, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, as we read this story, this parable that Jesus has made up, I want to encourage you to search out this truth that Jesus has in his word. I want to encourage you to allow this parable to upset you. And it might. I, I encourage you to allow it to dig past your mind and dig into your heart. And it may even make you angry or frustrated and I want you to know I'm okay with that. And I think Jesus is too. And I hope, I hope it does something in you. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to read one of the most, one of those popular and often misinterpreted parables that Jesus told. Matthew or Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Starts out, says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, um, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, 
and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then he said, which of these, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, I pray that as we, as we get into your word and this parable, that um, I, I'm sure we've heard maybe even some of us hundreds of times, uh, this referenced at least, this whole idea of the Good Samaritan. Lord, I pray that we would just allow you to speak to us fresh today. Um, Lord, make yourself real to us and that your Holy Spirit would make us and break us and shake us up uh, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So like we do with most every week, we're going to kind of walk down through it together. Um, verse 25, he starts out and he says, um, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus and pay attention to that because he says like he's I need you to understand that this question that comes up to Jesus is, doesn't come out of a place of like honoring Jesus. This isn't like, oh, wow, Jesus, you are so wise and you know everything and I'd love to know your answer on this question. This is one of those many questions where the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the teachers of the law would, would try to trap Jesus in heresy or at the very least, unorthodoxy. So they would literally be asking him a question, hoping that they could catch him, they could nail him on something, that he would say something that would, that would be heretical, and then they would be able to do whatever they needed to do. They could prosecute him for that. It goes on in verse 25. This is what he asks. He says, teacher, calls Jesus teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pretty much answers them, and you can read it on your own. He says, like, pretty much like, well, you tell me, teacher. You know, what do you think? How do you read it? He says, verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of the great commandment, right? Like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to this guy. He's like, you're correct. Nailed it. Just go and do that perfectly. And you're all good. You've got eternal life, man. You're going to live. Sounds good. But like, I mean, we all know that like, we're not doing that perfectly. Like, we're, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all, all, your, all, your, all your mind, and, and love my neighbors as myself. And so this guy, he knows that like, Jesus and him really don't see eye to eye. So he starts poking the bear a little bit. He's like, well, I don't know. I'm going to get Jesus because he, he didn't, I can't catch him in a trap here because a typical Jesus, he asks a question with another question, right? So he asks a follow-up question. And this follow-up question, church, is, is, the, is the question that every single one of us is wondering. Every single one of us is wondering. And he says to, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? What it really boils down to is this, like, I really don't have a problem loving people who are like me. I don't. In fact, the more that you are like me, the easier you are for me to love. 
If, like, if you, if you are not like me, you know, like funny, good looking, always right, best ideas. Like, if you're not like me, you know, I, I didn't even say that out loud because you already know that. But like, if you're not like that, like funny, good looking, always right, best ideas. Like, if you're not that, then I'm going to be honest with you, I actually have a really hard time liking you. I do. Like, if you would just see life through my eyes, if you just make decisions that I want you to make, I tell my wife this all the time, our life would be so much easier for the two of us, right? If you just listen to me, do what I say, think like I think, live like I live, everything would be great and awesome, right? I just don't understand why you have to be different than me. I have no problem liking people who are just like me. It's just the people like you that, that, that aren't like me. And I think, I, think, I think what this first century expert in the law is really wondering, he'd never say this, you'd never say this. I think what he really wants to know is this. Teacher, are Democrats my neighbor? I mean, what about Republicans? I, do I have to like... So rigid. Do I have to be around them? Teacher, is is the LGBTQ community my neighbor? Is um what about white people? What about black people? Are are liberals my neighbor? What about conservatives? Are, are they are they my neighbors too? Teacher, what what about Muslims? Like we don't see eye to eye. Like what, are, are you saying, are they, are they my neighbor? And, and I mean to tell you that this parable is meant to crush self-righteousness. And it will crush yours if you let it. And so typical Jesus, he he literally answers a question with a story. No, who is my neighbor? That was the question. This is Jesus' answer. Verse 30. He starts going into a story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And, and then... And then it sounds almost like the beginning of an inappropriate joke, right? Where like a priest and a Levite walk into a bar. Like he literally starts this thing out. And it's like, where are you going here, Jesus? Like he's just, he's like a priest and a Levite walk by. They see this man stripped naked, left half dead, beaten. And what do they do? Both of them. They, they, they walk to the other side of the street and they just, they pass by. Now, I don't know if they just, we don't know why. We don't know why they passed him by. We don't know why they were unable or unwilling to help. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they had other things going on. Maybe some people say that maybe these two men represented the law and religion. Like maybe Jesus is communicating through a priest and a Levite that like the law can't save him. This man laying on the right side of the road, religion couldn't help him. Now, I don't know about that, but either way, in walks the third man in the story. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
So I need you to remember this. This is a made-up story. It didn't happen. Jesus is telling a parable. He's not telling, recounting a tale of something that happened. And so the question is this. Why did Jesus choose to make the third guy a Samaritan? Because if you know anything about Samaritans and Jews, they are like arch enemies. They don't get along. If, in fact, if you were a Jew and you wanted to make fun of another Jew, you just call him a Samaritan. Like, they didn't get along, they, they, they didn't eat together, talk together, walk together. In fact, normally, you would go out of your way to avoid each other, and yet Jesus poses in this specifically made-up story a, a, a Samaritan who goes out of his way to help. I mean, Samaritans are, are villains in every story, and so why would Jesus do this. He could have just been like, well, there was some nondescript guy. He was the third guy who had nondescript height and had no position. And he came by and helped him and bandaged up his wounds. And the end, the end, but, but he didn't. And so instead of the Samaritan going out of his way to avoid this man, he goes out of his way to help him. This sounds a lot like Jesus. And it says in verse 33, the Samaritan, and then there's this word, took pity on him. Took pity on him. I, I need you to just pay attention to that word, that the Samaritan took pity on him. Because it is the very same word that we see over and over and over and over again in the Gospels. It is the Greek word, and I've taught it before, splachnizomai or splachnon, right? And it means to be moved with compassion, like moved in your gut, We've talked about this. Like, and, and it, that's black nitso, my word, that's often translated not moved with pity, but moved with compassion on someone, is the thing that, that you'll see if you look at Jesus right before he heals a blind man, right before he sets a leper free or casts out a demon or feeds the 5,000. You will see that Jesus, moved with compassion, went and healed the guy. Jesus, moved with compassion. And it is that word, splak nitso, my and it is the very same word that the Samaritan had on this man laying dead by the side of the road. He took pity on him. He was splachnizomai. He was moved with compassion. It is the same thing that happens to you. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know when God's spirit moves on you to do something that you wouldn't choose to do on your own. I hope that, I hope that God moves you to do things that you wouldn't do on your own and that he wins out. It's a mark of, of a mature Christian is when you disagree with God and he wins. When he moves on you to give something, to care about something, to love on something, and you're like, I'm not really into that. And he's like, well, I, I, I want you to. Okay. Splachnizomai. Splachnizomai. And I want you to see what this Samaritan Splachnizomai caused him to do. Verse 34. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. I mean, this guy goes above and beyond. Above and beyond the call of duty. But it was this splachnizomai. He put the, the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. Verse 35 says that he took out two denarii, which you're like, how much is, what's a denarii? I have no idea, right? Two denarii is about 60 days stay at a hotel. 60 days. So he gives him like 60 days stay, gives it to the innkeeper, and he tells him, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. I'm going to be 60 days, but I got stuff to do. I'm going to come back and then I'll give you any more that you incurred while you were helping care for this guy. 
This good Samaritan goes above and beyond what anyone would ever dreamed of. Like even if even someone who is like you, you'd be like, well, that's, that's a lot. But especially someone who is your enemy, like why would they go above and beyond like this? And then in verse 36, Jesus asks this question. He's done with the story and he poses this question to the expert of the law. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. It's almost like Jesus pulls a fast one on this guy. Like he's, you know, he asks Jesus, well, like, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answers by asking a question, who was the neighbor? And the only answer to this is the good Samaritan. The other two got out of there. And you know what? The man, the expert of the law, couldn't even say that. He, you can read it, verse 37. He mutters, probably. Well, the one who had mercy on him. You know, that guy. Number three. <laughs> he couldn't even say. I mean, essentially, the answer is what? My enemy. My enemy was the neighbor. It must have been so difficult for him to just even mutter out the affirmation that number three was the neighbor to this man. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. And this is where we usually end. This is like the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We walk away from it and preachers like me to people like you say, now you go and be a Good Samaritan. You turn that frown upside down and you care for people that are not like you and be the Good Samaritan. Just, just go do that. I mean, Jesus said, go and do likewise. And, and so we talk about social justice and we pour things in and just do that. That's, this is the right thing to do. And Here's the problem, though. The maddening thing about this parable, honestly, the maddening thing about the gospel is that it never allows you to be the hero of the story. Because I don't know about you, I like being the hero of my own story. I, I, I'm always looking at, you know, Bible things, characters, and stories, and be like, where do I fit in this thing? And I always want to place myself in the place of the hero. I'm the Good Samaritan. Yes, I am, right? Like, I, I like being the, like, if things go badly in my life, it's your fault. You guys are the villains. I'm just going to be honest. You're the villains in my story. But if things go right, well, that's my fault. I'll take that right on the chin, right? Like, I'm okay with being the hero of my own story. My guess is that you're the same. Things that go right, hallelujah, it's because of my own smart ingenuity. Things go wrong, well, I got a bunch of villains. You know, they're out to get me. Everyone's out to get me, right? I want to be the hero of my own story. The problem is this. Jesus crushes this man's self-righteousness and flips it upside down. And he uses this parable for people like this guy and people like me and people like you to hold up a mirror, reminding him, I know you think you're really good and you're rocking this whole love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But I'm just telling you, um, you're not. I, I, I know you think you got this going on. I, I hate to break it to you, but you are not the hero of this story. This story is, in fact, not about you. Jesus is the good shepherd. You are not the hero of this story. 
And you and I, folks, we were the ones left half naked, dead, beaten on the side of the road that Jesus came and found. Let me show you what I mean. Put verse 33 up on the, on the screen. Let's walk down through it. Jesus is the good Samaritan. How do we, well, he is the good Samaritan. He is rejected by the Jews, rejected by his own, the stone that the builders rejected. Not only that, but Jesus took pity on you. He was moved with compassion, splachnitzomai, to help you, even when you didn't deserve it. It was something that was on the inside of him to move, that God was wanting to move in your life. Verse 34, Jesus went to you. The Bible says that he shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of Satan over our lives. That he came, right? God sent his one and only son to come to you even while you were still yet sinners. Jesus bandaged your wounds. The Bible says he was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was on him. And by his wounds, you are healed. Not only did he bandage up your wounds, he picked you up. He picked you up out of the miry clay that he finds you in. He picked you up off the side of the road, left half dead and naked, stripped, beaten by the world. He picks you up and cares for you, put you on and carried you all the way. This story, folks, is not about, hey, you're you're not a nice guy. You should be the good shepherd or the good Samaritan. You should be better. Be a good guy. This story is this reality that you were left half dead on the side of the road and Jesus, the good Samaritan, found you. And you couldn't help yourself. And the law couldn't save you. And your religion couldn't, couldn't help you. And Jesus, the good Samaritan, the one who you rejected, your Savior, saw you, had compassion on you, came to you, healed you, bandaged your wounds, cared for you. Amen? Jesus is the hero of your story. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is the hero of this story. Now, we could end it here and be like, yeah, awesome. Thank you, Pastor Justin. Great story. You nailed it. Jesus is the hero. He's the good Samaritan. Yeah, awesome. This is, this is great. I get it. I get it. I get it. That's amazing. Now, except for this one part, there is like this odd verse in the middle of the story. And maybe you've noticed it. Maybe, you, maybe you've never seen it before. God just kind of like highlighted it to me this week. I'm like, what is that all about? And it almost seems like Jesus kind of went on a little bit of a little, like, poetic license in his story, right? Like, he talks about this inn and this innkeeper. It's only one verse. Only one verse. And it almost feels like he, like he kind of slipped it in there for no reason at all. And I don't know if you've ever read this whole inn, innkeeper portion that we talked about in verse 35. Like, I've always wondered, like, what does that have to do with anything, you should have just ended it. Like, Jesus came, he's a good Samaritan, picked me up, oh, healed me, all some great stuff. Like, why would Jesus add these details of this Samaritan and what he had to say to this random innkeeper at a Holiday Inn? What in the world does this have to do with anything? What I'd like to propose to you today is that the church 
is the Holiday Inn expressed. And I think that verse 35 is actually the church's marching orders. Let me read it for you. Verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The good Samaritan, Jesus, literally said, I'm going to be returning. And when I do, I will reimburse you for continuing to do what I've been doing. Doesn't this sound very similar to the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12? He says this, these are in red. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give each person according to what they have done. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And church, you're keepers of the inn. You're keepers of the inn. The, the beauty that he came and brought you and placed you in the body of Christ, and all of you got carried here the same way. I don't know if you realize this. I know it's been 10 years, 15 years, 20 years for you. I just want you to remember and go back to the time where he found you on the side of the road and picked you up. I know there's people right now on the side of the road that you walk down and you see them and they don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't think like you. They have different political views than you. They're different color than you. They don't speak the same language as you. I just want you to remember that every single one of us gets picked up off the side of the road, half dead, and the good Samaritan, Jesus, carries us and places us in the body of Christ. Every single one of you got here the same way. And then he says, here, here's a down payment. And you get pulled in and, and, and that, that's the whole reason we have like things like, like child dedications is to remind you, hey guys, look, these little kids up here, they're your responsibility. No, they're not. You got moms and dads, they're going to take care of that. No, no, they're your responsibility as well. It's your responsibility to be spiritual aunts and uncles and grandparents in their life so that when they get older, they're going to look at you and they're going to be like, I want what you have. We're all brought into this inn. Some of us have got healed up and we're in a place now where we're able to pour out what God has done in us into the lives of other people. But he places each and every single one of us in the body of the Christ. The church is the holiday inn expressed. A hotel for the sick, not, well, not just a hotel for the saints. Like, it's a hospital. It's a place where Jesus can bring broken people and he can trust that they will be cared for until he returns. Amen. So what does that mean? What does that look like? I just want to take a look at verse 35. Let's just break it down. The Good Samaritan, first, there's three things I'd like to point out. The Good Samaritan gives a three-word instruction. It's very simple. He says it in verse 35. All he says is this, look after him. The first thing is this, church, I want to remind you that we have been given permission to care. You have been given permission to care. 
And, and you, I know there's all kinds of questions that go on, even in our own hearts right now, even in my own heart right now, like, okay, but for how long? <laughs> and Jesus says, look after him. I, okay, okay, but like, I mean, what if, what if he got himself into this trouble? We have no idea. I mean, maybe he was back talking and he deserved what he had coming to him. What, what about that? Look after him. But what if he doesn't get better right away? What if like, oh my goodness, what if it takes months? What if it takes a year? What if it takes longer than he never? He's always walking with a little bit of a, what do we do then? Just look after him. Okay, but like, what if he doesn't deserve it? Look after him. But what if he doesn't look like me? What if he doesn't act like me? What if he never takes these social cues about like, this is really not okay in this church. Why in the heck are you doing this? Why are you wearing that? You just, you're not catching this. This is what a Christian looks like, acts like, wears. He doesn't get that. Look after him. This innkeeper was given permission. No, no, no. Instruction to look after people who are hurting. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't just, the Good Samaritan, doesn't just take this man bedraggled and, and, and hurting and just throw a couple denarii at some random other tenants and be like, hey, could you guys just kind of look over him? Like, he gives him to an innkeeper and this innkeeper has a title. He's an innkeeper. And there's always a responsibility that is attached to a title, isn't there? So if you get a promotion, a position, a title, there's always an, a responsibility that is attached to that. There's a, a list of tasks. It's a job description attached to any position, any promotion, any title that you walk into. And so whenever somebody has a title, we usually can, can deduce or have a, a general understanding of the tasks that they might perform. So maybe in here today, you're a uh, you're a, uh, a general contractor. Maybe, maybe today you're a master plumber, a painter, uh, a licensed electrician. Maybe you're an ordained pastor, a licensed teacher. All of those titles would come with them an expectation that we could expect that you would perform. And the reality is, is if you carry a title and you're unwilling to perform the tasks, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be weird if you were like a a master plumber, and I came up to you after church, I'm like, hey, I'd like to hire you. I've got this problem. My sink's leaking. I was just, you know, can I hire you to, to do this job? And you're like, I'm not really into that. Wait, you are a master plumber, right? Yeah, but I'm trying to get away from the whole plumbing thing. Just kind of cramping my style. I don't want to get pigeonholed in there. Like, are you kidding me, right? Like, that's your title. That's your position. That's your job. That's your career. That's what you, that's your calling. Like, I don't understand. Like, it's, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? And, and here's my fear. I wonder if many people are carrying the title Christian and yet are unwilling to perform the tasks associated with the responsibility that the title demands. I mean, that would be strange, wouldn't it? It would be strange for you to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, wow, so that must mean you, you do these things and you love the, you love the unlovable and forgive people who don't deserve it. And you, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I'm not that type of Christian. What? No, no, I just go to church and listen to the band. I, I'm not really into that. That doesn't make sense. Why would you carry a title and not do the tasks and carry the responsibility that the title entails? Church, innkeepers, 
you have been given the permission to care. Which means that just because something is not your fault does not mean that it's not your responsibility. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you were fully offended. (laughs) Just because something is not your fault does not mean that it is not your responsibility. You have been given the permission to care. He goes on. Verse 35, it says, The next day he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. This is my second point. Whatever we have, we have received. The innkeeper gives him, he gets two denarius, which is 60 days stay, and it was given for a purpose. The good Samaritans say, here, here's 60 days, you know, stay. I, I don't want you to use it on yourself. This is not to bless you and your family. Like this is to invest into other people and to this guy. I'm entrusting you with this money to give to others, right? Jesus not only gives him permission to care, but he's like, I, I'm going to move you with compassion to care. That's what Jesus said. He was moved with compassion. And Jesus will move you with compassion to care for people who are nothing like you. Just like he was moved with compassion to care for people that were nothing like him. And what he asks you to do is to simply give to others what you've been given. What do I mean by that? Well, when he says, like, I need you to love people who are hard to love. He already did that for you. I'm not hard to love. Yeah, you are. I need you to forgive those who don't deserve it. I can't do that for me. I need you to show mercy rather than judgment. Okay, I mean, yeah, I guess he did that for me too. I need you to do anything short of sin to reach those who don't know me. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Church, whatever you have, you've received. Jesus isn't asking you to do something out of your own ingenuity, your own goodness. He's the good Samaritan. And he literally gives you two denarii to say, I'm entrusting you. There's a down payment of my Holy Spirit and it's going to move you to compassion. It's going to give you the want to, to do things that you wouldn't do on your own. Whatever you have, you have been given. Why don't you stand with me? And this is the, the third point, last point I'm going to leave you with. And we see it at the end of verse 35. He says, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And here's my point. Whatever we expend will be compensated. Let me say that over you. Whatever you expend will be, cons- will be compensated. Not only not only does, does he make a down payment on you, but he says, like, I, I know that this guy is going to be hard to love, which you are, right? And for that, I'm going to reimburse you. I don't know about you. Maybe I, the first service people were probably more like this. But, like, you, have you ever been in the place where you've just been giving and serving and loving and forgiving and being diligent? And you're like, I am so tired of being good. Ever just gotten tired of being good? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like paid to be good. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm like, this is so exhausting sometimes. It's like, 
Now, I look at people who are not being good, and I'm like, they look like they're having a whole lot more fun, right? You just, have you ever gotten that place where you're just like, you're doing, and you're continuing, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you're like, I'm not sure if the output is worth what I'm getting. I, I don't know if my investment is gaining anything in return. And I'm reminded of Paul, because I think he knew it. I think he feels probably like you, probably like me in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up. You and I are not simply doing good works. You're planting for a harvest. So I put this in my pocket. It's very small. It is a, a seed. And you can't see it because you're too far away. And it's, it's that small. Um, and I was thinking about this, like, when, when, if you're a gardener and you plant seeds, and hopefully you did this a little while ago because it's a little late in the season to do that, but like, it, when you plant seeds, you don't go and plant seeds hoping that in two months you're going to have a seed. You're not like, oh, can't wait to plant this seed in here. Yep, oh, we'll water that sucker. Come back in two months, hopefully it'll still be there. Right? That'll be awesome. That'll be a win. No, that's a failure, right? All you got is like, yeah, did you see all these seed beds? This is amazing. You check out my garden. And you get, people will be like, dude, you're like a horrible gardener, right? No, no, planting seeds, reaping seeds. It's amazing, right? So my point is this. What I have in my hand is not a seed. It's a tree in seed form. It's a plant in seed form. It's the harvest in seed form form. I am not planting seeds. I am planting trees. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you don't get anything out of this whole message of what he's talking about with the Good Samaritan and taking all of our, our, our self-righteousness out, it's this understanding and this reality that church, you're not just doing good deeds. You're not just being a good person. He's the Good Samaritan. What you're doing is planting seeds for a harvest. And when you stop seeing your good deeds, you're giving, you're loving, you're forgiving, even when it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, when you stop seeing it as just seeds, everything changes. What it means is this. It means that if you're serving in, in kids' ministry, it means you're not just doing child care. You are raising up the next generation of world changers. All of a sudden, you're like, uh -uh, I'm not doing child care. I'm, I'm planting seeds. I'm planting trees. You don't understand. Like, I'm not doing childcare. I'm raising up a next generation of people that are going to change this world. So please don't call this childcare. <laughs> You're sorely misunderstanding. You, you don't even know what I'm doing. When you realize that, you, that you're planting trees, not seeds, all of a sudden... The things that you're doing, maybe you're, you're opening up doors and, and greeting people as they come in. You're not just opening up doors and shaking hands and smiling. Like You're pouring the Holy Spirit as someone first walks through our doors to someone who might have been thinking about ending it all last night. You're just a greeter. You're a Holy Spirit purveyor, right? Like, please don't debase what I'm doing to good deeds. And all of a sudden, when you realize that you're not planting seeds, you're planting trees in seed form, leading a life group is not a hassle and like, oh, I don't want to do this thing. No, you're cultivating fruit in other people's lives, realizing that like you were that guy lifted up, 
dead on the side of the road and Jesus found you and carried you on his back to a local church. God raised you up and now you get to do that for other people as God sends in and the broken and the hurting and the bedraggled and the people who don't look like you, talk like you. They don't have any social cues about what churchianity looks like. They're not dressing right and all of these things. And you realize, oh, let me tell you my story. <laughs> you think you had it. Let me tell you how dead I was on the side of the road when Jesus found me. And it gives hope to somebody else who's hopeless and helpless and looking everywhere for something to hold on to. Church, innkeepers, you have been given a responsibility to care, to look after the world. And everyone that Jesus puts in your path. Jesus came because he cares for people who are nothing like him. And he asks his church to do the same until he returns again. Don't get off mission. Don't allow the politics don't allow the, the craziness of this world and the schemes of the enemy to take you off mission. And I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm saying it's hard. But it's what we've been asked to do. So Lord, I lift up your name today. As we, our people, all came here the same. None of us, none of us arrived here None of us were beamed down from heaven into this church. Every single one of us came here the same way through the mercy that we didn't deserve, the forgiveness that we weren't even sorry for, the grace that was so ridiculous, and the love that, man, still floors me. May we, out of the abundance of what we have received, Show that same love to others who are not like us. Help us to wrestle with that as you crush our self-righteousness. There is no place for it in our church. Help us to love the unlovable and to figure out what that looks like. Help us to, to see you working in the midst of our world and to stop trying to look for all the things that Satan's working and find the one on the side of the road that is in need of help and help. Lord, we thank you that you call us to do it. It's in your name we pray. We're gonna end with a worship song today. I just wanna encourage you today in a response to this parable, maybe just as we sing, just ask Jesus, what are you wanting to unveil to me in my own heart today? What is that place that you're wanting to dig? change me to make me more like you. Let's, let's say it.